When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. Why should you visit Kings Island? Do it because less time planning means more time for this. Do it to take a one-day family vacation. Do it to catch a serious case of the giggles together. And of course, do it to eat a funnel cake the size of your face. Because here at Kings Island, doing something just for the fun of it is all the reason you need. Right now, everyone pays kids' price. Kings Island tickets just $45 online. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Radio! Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome to the X One, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the X One Broadcast Network, Digital Broadcast Network, Digital Satellite Broadcast Network, and of course, iHeartRadio. If you'd like to send us an email, X One at X One Radio TV on all social media, co- uh, all media sites, X One Radio TV, and. Um, if you'd like to check the programming that we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Leland Judson, and he is the grandchild of a Ukrainian mystic who narrowly escaped war-torn Europe to start a family in Canada. Growing up, uh, he had regular contact with the Canadian Anibus Amulet, 
By the age 10, he began encountering the light beings. That triggered a lifelong obsession with research and solving the coin they gave to him. In 2012, he decided it was time to begin field research up north. And that is where he discovered an ancient offering table and uh, potentially King Solomon's lost gold mine. After that, he began writing blogs for Adept Initiatives. Uh, this August, with the help of a researcher from Bulgaria, he identified a Draco Stonehenge located at the same site up north. Uh, clues for that have potentially solved Atlantis, and Leland does volunteer work for 98.5 FM CKWR. Joining me now is Leland Judson, and Leland, welcome to the X-Zone. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me on the show, and thanks a lot for that uh, introduction. Really appreciate hearing that. <laughs> All right. Tell us about the Canadian An- Anubis Amulet. Oh, the Canadian Anubis Amulet. Anubis, yeah. right. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's just a, a relic, actually, that my aunt showed me. I don't know. I guess uh, it's been almost a year ago now. And uh, she found it in the, the ruins of our old family farmhouse, and uh, took me a while to to do some research and identify it. But I think uh, so far the, the leading theory is that it's a replica or in the shape of uh, the Egyptian god Anubis. And and what was the significance of the Egyptian god Anubis? Um, he was involved with like, a, he's like a black dog figure and he was involved oh, right. with the afterlife. Yeah. He's the one who looks like the black jackal. Yeah, yeah, that's the right, one. right. Yeah, and the amulet has his uh, mouth uh, wide open, and uh, we I did some research into that and found out that uh, Anubis was involved with uh, the afterlife and breathing life into people so that they could speak after they had deceased. That's interesting. And where did your your love for archaeology and the past and the mysteries and the mystics and the paranormal come from? Um, I guess it was kind of in my blood because uh, my grandma was a like a dream psychic or a mystic from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And then as I was uh, growing up, I ended up having an encounter with light beings when I was about 10 years old. And from there, they gave me a coin that had some uh, imagery from ancient Mexico on it. So that's what triggered my research into trying to find out everything I could about the coin. The coin the, the light beings gave you... Yeah. What did it look like? Um, it's actually not that rare of a coin. It's just a 1964 uh, Mexican coin. I believe it's a peso or something they call it. And uh, I think the only thing that really triggered my research into the ancients is because the symbols on it, it has the, the Mexican coat of arms, which uh, some people call like the, the sacred tree of life. And then it also has one of the Aztec uh, heroes on the back too. Interesting. Yeah. Is, is, and, so these light beings, where do they come from? Um, I did a lot of research into those over the years. Actually, my biggest breakthrough is listening to your show when I heard uh, William Henry talking about the light beings. Yes, yes, I remember that well. Yeah, and uh, then I moved on from his research and I got in touch with them with some Zoroastrians. They're uh, they're in like a really old religion that used to be common in Persia or Iran. And then they have some information about the light beings, and they call them the uh, the Amesha Spenta. So that's pretty much what I think they were, just because it's the oldest records of them I could find so far. So if, if your research is correct, then history is all wrong. Um, with the regards to the Anubis amulet, you mean? Or? <laughs> well, the research that you're doing, you know, the, uh, yeah. the information that you've been given by the... By the uh, 
you know, the light beings, the, the coin that you have, the coin that was found by your aunt, you know, if this would show that history, well, we, that's no big secret. We know history has been wrong ever since they've tried to shove Christopher Columbus <laughs> discovering uh, America on us, right? Yeah, I always, I always joke about that and say Columbus was more likely the last person to discover America rather than the first. <laughs> exactly. You know, everybody forgets the drunken monks from Ireland who actually <laughs> rode across the, uh, the Atlantic because they got lost on their way back to Dublin. Uh, and, yeah. and then, of course, you know, in one, in one hand, history always tells us about the Vikings, yeah. Greenland. And that was way before Christopher Columbus, and yet he gets credited with you know, the discovery of North America, which we know was all wrong. So yeah. how, as, as a student of, of history yourself, mm-hmm. how does this make you feel when you, when you, when you hear the, the, the untruths about history being told based on your, your knowledge? Well, I think it's only a matter of time before things change. It's like uh, people got to go with what they know and what's established theory at the time. So I don't really blame anyone for going with those ideas. Mm-hmm. And it was like uh, the Phoenicians were the ancestors of, uh, I guess, the, the Vikings and the different Norse people. And I think they're the ones that brought the Phoenician and Ubis yeah. amulet here. Well, the Phoenicians are now believed to have been been bringing copper back from the Great Lakes over back to the Middle East where they were using the copper and tin to make bronze. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorite theories too. Yeah. Uh, Scott, Scott Walter does a lot of work with that on a show called America Unearthed. And um, I'd just like to go back to the, uh, to the light beings because they interest me. Sure. Where, 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 how did you make contact with them? How did they make contact with you? And what else did, did you learn about them in the time that you had experiencing them? Yeah, it's it's kind of a hard story to talk about, but I'll do my best. I usually get shooken up a little bit every time I try to describe it. But uh, it was uh, me and my best friend at the time. We decided to sneak outside of her house mm-hmm. late at night, like around 1 or 2 in the morning after our parents had gone to bed because we wanted to work on a tree fort that we were trying to get built before the other neighborhood kids could attack us. Like, I don't know, it's kind of a long story. When we were kids, like everyone used to play outside and there was a lot of crazy stuff going on. But so when we went outside, uh, we got about halfway down the end of my yard and I live in a pretty secluded area, even though it's in town. And there was a big sand dunes behind us, big wide open fields. And my backyard's like the size of a, I don't know, almost quarter the size of a football field. And then we just happened to walk about halfway down that yard and, Mm -hmm. uh, we, we seen the light beings in the corner of our eye and it was really weird because uh, even though they were super bright, like shiny, none of the surroundings lit up from them. So their light almost seemed like it was limited to to just them and it didn't like light up anything. And the, the other weirdest part too is uh, we started getting like a paralyzation of like fear. And a lot of people I tell this story to, they're like, oh, you must be so happy that you've seen the light beings. It would be incredible. But no, it was really the most terrifying experience of my life. It's, I almost had a heart attack. I think oh my, it, my chest was beating so badly at the time. So how did they communicate you, verbally or telepathically? Yeah, there was a... It's strange. Like, uh, I, I wish they would have told me something because it would have made researching the coin a lot easier. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, what they did is they just like gradually moved towards us. And then uh, I noticed my friend couldn't move, but I could barely move my neck back and forth. And as I like looked back and forth to them, they were a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And 
like three or four of them started to expand into like five or ten of them surrounding us and then uh, just like when they got about an inch away from my face almost like they were gonna like touch my forehead against theirs it's like they'd completely vanished and it was about 10 a.m in the morning and we were standing right in the exact same spot that it started to happen so it's almost like uh, some people call it missing time but i would call it like a time skip because it's like we didn't really have any missing time in between we were still standing in the same spot it, it was just daylight all of a sudden so both you and your your friend experienced this encounter yeah, I'm so happy that he wow. was there with me because, if, like, if I was alone, I probably wouldn't even believe it myself because it was just so incredible. Like, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing that something like that happens. And having a witness there, it was like it made the world a difference. Now, did um, did your – how long did this encounter last? Um, I'd say in total, like, minus the time skip and everything, it was maybe five minutes. It was, it was really quick. Mm-hmm. Five minutes, wow. Since now, the, the other thing, too, yeah. is uh, my neighbor goes outside and plays golf every morning, and I never got the guts to ask him to say, like, were we just standing in the backyard not moving for hours? But I'm assuming that's not what he saw, because if he did, he probably would have said something about it. Have you had any contact with these light beings since then? Um, it was weird how it worked out it's uh the next day they actually came back again we were considering going back outside to to try again working on the fort and we looked out my uh, back porch window and there happened to be one standing on the balcony like looking right in the window as we opened the curtains so then after that happened we just slammed mm-hmm. the curtains closed and said forget that plan we're staying inside <laughs> yeah and then there was another time when i was listening to your show i don't know about uh I think, what do they call it, remote viewing and stuff. So I, I tried doing a little bit of my own remote viewing, and that must have been years later when I was, like, in my 20s. And uh, I seen them when I was doing remote viewing, and then I just quit doing that, too, because it really it's just scared me, and I didn't want to continue. You and I have to take our first commercial break, uh, Leland. Sure. Thanks very much for joining us and for sharing your story with us here on the Exxon. Great talking to you. And Exonation, um, Leland and I will be back on the other side of this break. But if you'd like to con- if you'd like to visit uh, Leland online, his Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Leland Judson dot com. That's L-E-L-A-N-D-J-U-D-S-Y-N. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. This is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern on the Exxon Broadcast Network and our family of worldwide affiliates, as well as our good friends at iHeartRadio. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-8255. 
1-800-800-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Some men climb a mountain Some men swim the sea Some men fly above the sky They are what they must be But baby, the rain must fall Baby, the wind must blow Wherever my heart leads me, baby, I must go, baby, I must go. I do not love for silver. Welcome back, everyone. Leland Judson is our guest. His Facebook page is forward slash Leland Judson. Leland, um, mm-hmm. when did you get started doing field research up in the northern parts of Canada? Um, that actually happened on a kind of auspicious date. It was uh, December 21st of 2012 is when I watched a show on TV called uh, Scott Walter's America on Earth. And he covered all the Phoenicians and how they were le- leaving artifacts or clues in North America. So I decided, heck, I'm, I'm done with uh, just watching stuff on TV and researching on their net- Internet. It's mm-hmm. about time that I, I just got off my butt and started looking <laughs> for myself. So that's when I started going up north and seeing if I could find any Phoenician clues to help me solve the coin. And what was your first research project? Um, I actually uh, bought some property up north and I was uh, going up there and it was sort of like a, a project to just look around in that area. And then that's when I came across Mount Keminis. And Mount Keminis is like a giant mountain wall. It's pretty big like 500 meters above sea level and Mm -hmm. it's the shape of a witch's cauldron and it's also divided in the half like the the two pillars of king solomon's temple so that was the first thing i really started researching was climbing to the top of that mountain seeing if i could find any clues there have there been any other archaeological digs or finds up in that area yeah thank god it's like uh I know, like, I don't have the greatest credentials. Like, I've pretty much just been a janitor and working day jobs my whole life. So I was really fortunate that uh, different teams of university professors had gone up there and done research. And and uh, they actually found most of the sites that I've been looking at. But it was, uh, they didn't really, like, have the, the background information to, like, say what it was. It's mm-hmm. just that they were researching it. So I got a lot of help from them al- along the way. 
We should have mentioned Backroads Bill Steer. He's a professor at Candidore College and uh, Nipissing University. And he was doing a lot of the work up there so I could get some help in the matter. What has been your greatest find uh, during an archaeological dig? That's uh, one of the lucky things, too, is I've never actually had to dig anything up. When I got to the top of the mountain there, it's the, the offering table is just on the surface. And it was uh, facing the setting sun. And uh, I just started to uh, take pictures of it and compare it with other people online to see if anyone else could help find a match. And I was lucky that a, a researcher, J.J. Ainsworth, was uh, she travels all over to the world to sites like Egypt and stuff. Like, I don't have the money to go see those. And she helped me compare the pictures to, to find out the ones that were matching the what I had found on the mountain. So... How many projects have you worked on so far, or have you just gone up there and continuously worked trying to find something and trying to correlate it with the, the ancient artifacts that, that you believe are there? Yeah, luckily, uh, most of the, the stuff I've been working on has been the general vicinity of uh, the same area. Like, there's an offering table located on Mount Keminis, and then about, a, I think it's about eight kilometers down the road, there's the, the Draco Stonehenge. So I did a lot of work on that one as well. And then the whole surrounding area, too, is the one of the world's biggest and best uh, gold mines. So that's when I realized that I was also looking at the possibility of uh, King Solomon's lost gold mine here. Have you found any any artifacts that that would prove to you or another member of the archaeological world that this, in fact, is King Solomon's gold mine? No, well, I guess I shouldn't say artifacts, but uh, the biggest one, I guess, is the Draco Stonehenge, mm -hmm. just because uh, the blocks are still there, and it's uh, set up in the shape of Draco, and it's also next to a giant runway that's uh, like a big clearing, and I thought that was weird, but uh, JJ also helped me and showed me that there was Norse traditions of making a, a wide-open clearing next to the sacred stones that they erected also. So as far as like digging tools and stuff, nothing like that has turned up or I haven't found any gold relics or anything of that nature yet. But I think just because the whole area is so old that a lot of that stuff would have been gone a long time ago before I got there. Like I'm definitely not the first person to start researching this stuff. What can you tell our listening audience about the Dracos? Um, the, oh, the Draco, Draco Stonehenge, Stone yes. Yeah, the Draco Stonehenge is a, it's a really wild place. Like, uh, Bill Steer was the one who wrote the blog about it. And mm -hmm. how I started looking for it is because uh, the offering table on that mountain happened to look the same as one in uh, Bulgaria. I got some help from a, a researcher from a, well, she's a, she has her master's degree at Sofia University in Bulgaria. And she had a site that looked the same there like the same uh, elevation, the, the surrounding area was the same with all the roads and stuff. And there was a connection between the, the lakes going all the way to the Ottawa River and to the ocean. So there was like a pathway by water that the ancients could have used to get there. And then so uh, how that led to me to the Draco Stonehenge is she said that I'm making all these theories about these two sites being located or related, but I needed more evidence. So she mentioned that they have a Stonehenge site near her site in Bulgaria, so that's that's something I should look for. And then that's when I came across the professor's blog. I was like, my, I couldn't believe it. It's like there was a, a Stonehenge site near the offering table, just like the corresponding one in Bulgaria had. 
Speaking about Bulgaria, I understand Bulgarian yeah. people came to see your your Stonehenge. Yeah, I was really fortunate that uh, Maya, she made the time to come all the way to Canada because she wanted to see this site for herself. And like, I, I think she was still skeptical whether or not they were related, but I guess it piqued her interest enough that she was going to come all the way to see it. Mm-hmm. And then when she got here, we were looking at some of the different evidence, like uh, going to the Draco Stonehenge and going to the offering table. But we also stopped at a, a large gold coin that the, the historical society had put next to the, the highway and the mines. And it turned out that that coin has an image on it, not of the queen, but of a, a Draco, or not a Draco, a, a Bulgarian horseman. So it was like almost like some people in the town knew about this ancient Bulgaria-Thrace connection. Like I should mention that the Thrace were some people that lived in ancient Bulgaria. So that's weird that they had a coin minted from the gold there, the first gold coin, in right. fact, that had that same imagery on it. Is there any correlation between the Draco Stonehenge, the Bulgarian Stonehenge, and the Stonehenge in England? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, The blog that I just recently published for this, uh, I put this information in there. I Mm -hmm. tried to find a connection between the the Stonehenge and, well, basically our offering table and the Stonehenge in England. And it turned out that that offering table shape is so common that uh, I guess, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but... If you look at a, if you see what is it, the Stonehenge it has a computer rendering of what it used to look like back when it was first constructed, and it just so happened to be the same shape as the offering table. So I was like, wow, I don't know if that's another coincidence, but it sure seemed like a connection to me. So I added it to the blog. When did you start your blog, and what got you? Uh, what was the inspiration behind it? Um, it's actually not even my blog. It's a group called Adept Initiates. And I just, uh, I've been sharing my research online and they said that they were looking for more writers. So I applied and showed some of my information and, and they took me on as a writer. And I guess it's been a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. I've been writing blogs for them ever since about my finds up north. I'm basically kind of nicknamed the, the Canadian uh, counterpart or I guess, uh, I guess uh, like it part of Canada's research team. Well, I'm pretty, not really a team. It's just me working on the Canadian sites. Most people are into the, the Egyptian stuff in South America. It's way more popular, I think. I understand that there's a connection between the Draco Stonehenge, Bulgarian Stonehenge, and Atlantis. Yeah, this was the one of the weirdest connections I found, and I was even hesitant to tell people about it, but I figure I should because it's uh, someone's got to do it. Might as well be me. I'm not really going to be risking my reputation as a janitor too badly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, with the the connection to that is, uh, I did an interview on CKWR, talking about the the offering tables and the the gold mine theory and King Solomon. And then the host asked me or one of the co-hosts if uh, if there was any people that could have been using this offering table earlier, like like way back in the past, even before the Phoenicians. Right. So then I happen to remember, because I spent a lot of time in Catholic school, that uh, Cain and Abel, they had a, a well, it's a big story about how Cain killed his brother Mm -hmm. Abel, and it was all over an offering. So I was like, man, could there be a connection to that? And I was like, it's going to be easy to prove one way or not, because uh, what the story says is that when Cain killed his brother, he got banished to a really far away place that they called Nod. 
And in that Nod place, uh, he eventually wandered down and uh, he built a city after his first son. I guess he met someone in the, the area and had his, a child and they named the city Enoch. Right. So then I was like, uh, I heard the research by Gerald Clark and he was saying that there's a controversial theory that uh, the name Enoch is actually the same as the city that it's underneath uh, today's Mexico City. It's called T. Enoch Titlan. And it turned out that the the legend they had, too, was that there was an Aztec hero, hero that came from the far north, and he wandered all the way down with the help of the, the sacred tree imagery, like the, the stuff on, that I had on my coin, and that he built the, the city there. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's like, how is this possible that Cain built a city called Enoch when he wandered down south? And here we got the same story of the Aztecs saying that their hero wandered down from the north and built T. Enoch Titlan. And then how that connects to Atlantis is another big thing. It's like uh, I did a show like on our my radio show that I volunteer on, mm-hmm. and we, we covered uh, Atlantis. And uh, I started looking at all the clues that were left by Atlantis, and I'm like, man, this is reminding me a lot about the city T. Enoch Titlan I've been researching. And then it turned out that everything matches. Like the city of T. Enoch Titlan used to have like a huge population, like 350,000 people. And it was like the most impressive city for its time. And then uh, it was destroyed after it fell out of favor with the gods by a, a, like a great flood. And then the, the Aztec city was also built in like a circular shape pattern on a man-made inland island. And it also happened to be located directly across from Gibraltar. So I, I was like, surely I can't be the first one to know. But, but wait a sec, wait a sec. Hold, yeah. How can you have an Aztec city? Built across from Gibraltar. Yeah. That makes no, no that's sense. The weird part about it is like that the dating doesn't line up properly. Like mm-hmm. the Tenochtitlan is supposed to only have been built in 1325. So there's a large discrepancy there going with the dating. But the only reason I even considered it is because a lot of ancient sites we look at keep getting the dates pushed back further and further and further. Like even sites in Egypt, they like they debate whether or not they're like tens of thousands of years older than they originally thought. Leland, so. uh, hold that thought. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation. Sure. Leland Judson is our guest, and we're talking about... Let me see. What are we talking about? We're talking about so many things. We're talking about the Canadian Anubis uh, amulet. We're talking about Draco Stonehenge. We're talking about Bulgarian Stonehenge. We've started talking about uh, Atlantis. Wow. Love this conversation, and we'll be back on the other side of this break and the news as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I do not love for gold My heart is mine to give away This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. back everyone uh, let me see um, Christmas is just around the corner what is it uh, 26 days from today Craig today is November 30th my gosh 26 days uh, I hope everybody's got their Christmas shopping done and uh, personally you know what I'm I'm kind of getting a little fed up with political correctness so here on the Exxon even though it is not politically correct we say Merry Christmas we say Happy New Year. We say Happy Easter. You know, why? These are our customs. And um, so to each and every one of you, to you and yours, a very Merry Christmas. And don't forget to do your Christmas shopping so that you can bring a Christmas tree into your house and do your Christmas present wrapping. And don't forget to send out those Christmas cards. Craig, how many political correct... Answers, did I get wrong on that one? Every one of them? Good. That's what I like to hear. What can I tell you? I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. That's right. I love Christmas. You know, Christmas carols, Christmas movies. You know, it's not Happy Holidays, Charlie Brown, is it? No, of course not. So why should why should everybody change? You know, like over here in Hamilton, we used to have a big, beautiful sign on the side of the mountain that said, Merry Christmas, but because of certain political groups, and I'm not going to mention the word religion, groups, it had come down. Guess what? It's going back up. And know what it says? Merry Christmas. Do you know what the buses, you know, when you look at the top of the front of a bus, it tells you where it's going and the number and everything. You know what it says here in Hamilton? Merry Christmas. Isn't that great? Wow. Look at that. Christmas is coming back. And uh, speaking about Christmas, if you'd like to find out about the Christmas holiday programming we have coming up, visit www.xzbn.net. Leland Judson is our guest this hour. 
And you can find Leland on Facebook at Leland Judson. Now, Leland, I'd just like to get back to the Atlantis part. Sure. Where did the concept of the Aztec city in front of Gibraltar come from? Because that's got me totally perplexed. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the political correctness thing, too. Yeah, and Merry Christmas. I, I love Hamilton. I've been to the top of that mountain a few times, and it's a really nice city. But, uh, yeah, to mention, like, uh, Gibraltar is like a, like a straightaway that comes out of the Mediterranean, and it mm-hmm. sort of points in, like, a direction, like the shape that it's uh, the opening is. Yeah. And it almost aims right across the ocean to, to where this city is, Tiananmen. And then the political correctness part of it comes in is this theory was actually really popular back in the days of like uh, Helena Blavatsky and sure. like the, the, the Nazis when they were doing research. So I think that's where it sort of got lost over time is people didn't want to even consider the idea because they'd be associated with Nazis. And to be honest, I don't really like telling people about it because it makes me uptight about mentioning the Nazi research too. Like well, I'm definitely not trying to promote their work. Oh, I, I understand that. But why can't yeah. we just call it German research? Why do we have to use the, the word Nazi? Yeah, no, that'd probably be a a lot better way to describe it. You know, political correctness and I, Leland, if like you've been listening to the show for several years, we just don't get along. We just don't get along. And I, I, you know what? I, I respect everyone. I respect their rights. I respect what they want to do until I start getting pushed. And when I get pushed, I push back. But hey. Well, it's good. I'm glad somebody does because the way today's society is going, it's kind of scary the direction. But you know, my young friend, I believe in people, and I think that we're going to weather this storm out. I really do. Yeah. No, I, I try to stay optimistic about yeah. everything, because it's like, we never know. There could be like the next golden age, like some people say, right exactly. around the horizon. Exactly. So I'm hoping so. <laughs> exactly. Why do people take Atlantis so serious when it was started by Plato? There is actually yeah. no physical evidence. It's all based on... Plato's word, the word of a philosopher. Why is yeah. it why is it written in stone, so to speak? Metaphorically, that is. Yeah, I covered that a little bit on uh, when I was doing the show and we we mentioned uh, Atlantis and Plato and all of his research and I guess Plato was caught in a little bit of a bind too where he was involved with a lot of the ancient pagan knowledge and yeah. the pagans in the church at the time weren't exactly getting along great. I, I think they still don't to this day. So uh, I have a feeling that maybe there was other people that were also into that sort of thing and they never got their voices heard. Like they probably got silenced in the same mm. way that Plato had to be careful with a lot of the stuff he was saying. With all the all the scientific and high-tech equipment we have now. Yeah. If we can find the Titanic, how come we can't find, you know, Atlantis? Yeah, that's the, the big uh, mystery, I guess. Well, it's not yeah. really a mystery when you check into it a lot because, uh, like, a lot of people are trying to find Atlantis underneath the ocean. And then when you come to today's Mexico City, a lot of people are going to say, like, there's no way that there's, like, Atlantis could be under it because there's no water here for it to be a... Like the part of the biggest part of the legend is that Atlantis was in water when it got sunk. It was like a man-made island. But then I, I managed to dig it up, and uh, it was when the Spanish invaded. They not only did they destroy the remains of Tenochtitlan, but they mm-hmm. also drained the the lake there. So Mexico City is still a bit swampy. 
So I think people get they get caught up in the idea that it has to be under the ocean, like some hidden continent or something. We don't even consider the idea that that water used to be there around Mexico City. So it's making it one of the, the leading candidates, if you know that. So it could be right in front of us, hidden in plain sight. Yeah, it's funny how many mysteries are like that. And it's like, I wonder if it's the political mm-hmm. correctness that played a part of it, too. Just because uh, Cain and his family had a lot of pagan history to them as well. So they probably would have got covered up quite a bit as well by what happened with everything and, and the situation of the church versus the pagans. Isn't it funny because Christmas these days is filled with pagan traditions. You know, the yeah. Yule log, the Christmas tree, <laughs> the deck the ho- boughs with holly and uh you know so many things it seems like okay guys let's kiss make up we'll have a little kid call him the savior and everybody lives together holds hands and sings kumbaya yeah now i wonder if one day when we get to the bottom of these ancient mysteries or we're we're gonna link the two like ancient religions and pagans and find out they were one and the same at one point big time big time what's your take on other on other facets of ancient mysteries. For example, who do you think built the pyramids? Yeah, I was looking into that quite a bit because uh, basically what this whole curse that Cain had and how Mm -hmm. he built Atlantis was uh, he got cursed in a way that he was able to build large cities out of stone. And that, that was his major gift from God to help him survive because the other part of the curse is he wasn't able to grow food anymore. So he had to build these large stone cities in order for more people to bring food. And if you trace the, the pagan history, they even found a lot of like red-haired mummies in the bottom of the pyramids. Right. I think over a million at one point, or that's what a, a controversial theory was saying. So there almost seems like a connection. Like like if you look at uh, the LGE history, it's like the, the talking books of Ireland. A lot of people don't take the, the ancient Irish history as as accurate because I guess they had a talking animal in it, and you should never mm-hmm. include that if you want people to take your history serious. But no, they uh, they talked about how they had, uh, I think, what is it, a Princess Scotia who was involved with Egypt. So it's like there's a lot of pagan connections, almost like it was the curse of Cain that helped wow. build the pyramids. I know it's going to be a, a pretty hard theory for people to accept that that curse could have been involved with a lot of the traditions, but that same offering table shape, like you find it in Egypt too, that was that was one of the first matches. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, people with talking animals. You you've heard about the the ventriloquist uh, Jeff Dunham, right? Um, yeah, that sounds familiar. Okay, can you imagine a ventriloquist have you know just having fun with people, screwing with their minds, and throwing their voices into the animals, and that would clear yeah. the marketplace pretty fast. No, I think that comes from the research Grant Hamcock. He covers it pretty well. It's yes, like, he does. Yeah, the, an- the ancients did so much shamanic work that yep. that's where they're getting this talking animal stuff from. Yep, Graham Hancock's a, a super guy. I had him on the show. Yeah, he's yeah. one of my favorite guests, too. It's really awful, some of the health problems he's going through, yes. but I, I sure hope he comes through all right. Listen, I understand that you run booths at conventions. Uh, tell us about your booth experience. Yeah, it was uh, it was rather interesting. Like, uh, what I decided to do is get a booth at one of the most popular conventions, and not really like a, a paranormal convention. It's just the the Fan Expo show in Toronto. Because I figured mm-hmm. I wanted to start sharing my research with just regular everyday people, and not be like preaching to the choir sort of thing at a paranormal convention. Right. And then. Uh, I just basically spent like a lot of money and got a booth and volunteered my time to to start sharing it with people. And 
I was really uh, well received by, I'd say, about 90% of the people Excellent. I spoke with. Excellent. There was like maybe 10% of the people sort of got uptight about it because of the, the religious aspects to it. And But uh, I even had this one kid, it's like I, I was gone on my washroom break and he wanted to tell his friends about what he heard at my booth so bad that uh, he opened up my binder of material and started doing the presentation to his friends while I was gone in the washroom. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool that... There's actually a, a pretty good uh, amount of young people that are like craving this information and they're just not getting it in the mainstream. Why do you think mainstream media isn't as forthcoming with the topics that you and I discuss? Yeah, I think it's like you got to risk your reputation. Like I, I know when I was writing this blog, I was worried to mention the professors' names and stuff because I don't want their careers to be ruined being associated with talking about the what was happening with the basically proving the Nazi stuff, right? And and like I, I'm more free to talk about it just because I haven't had like I barely finished high school. It took me till I was 20, and I haven't had the greatest jobs or career to to risk in the meantime. Mm. But I think maybe that's probably a big part of it. What do you see as the next big discovery coming from the ancient, the ancient ways that is going to rock good old everyday 20th century high-tech, high-data, bad news world? Yeah, I think uh, hmm, one of the biggest discoveries, I think it's going to do with like a, another part of my blog came about uh, a Stonehenge site that's on the West Coast, and it's mm -hmm. in the shape of the, the First Nations medicine wheel. Uh-huh. And and their medicine wheel has like this uh, theory behind it. It's like uh, split up into four sections. And these sections were like like they each of them had a color like red, white, mm -hmm. uh, yellow and black. And then it, they have a whole interesting theory behind it where the creator, I guess I won't call him God because it'll get upset with some people, but he basically set up mankind to maintain a balance between all the different nations and colors of people and that we're supposed to work together and that some people are going to do some things better than others. And then it's dangerous for us to like, uh, I know multiculturalism is great and all, but it's like, we really need to maintain some of the original things that the creator left. Like exactly. if we don't have people to look after the water and we don't have people mm -hmm. that are made to look after the land. And our populations are getting out of balance. Like All right, Leland, I hate to do this, my friend, but you know the radio business. You and I have to take our final break. Please stand by. Okay, sure. Leland Judson's our guest on Facebook, Leland Judson. And uh, we'll be back on the other side as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away now. Since you said we're through, it seems like years, time keeps dragging. The earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet, viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School with great news an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow are a series of online adult and children's lessons instructing your entire family on natural law, how to cooperate with and be supported by the powers of the universe. Visit findyourpathhome.com to find these unique and powerful classes. 
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. And welcome back, everyone. Leland Judson is our guest this hour, and we've been talking about Stonehenge. We've been talking about Draco Stonehenge, Bulgarian Stonehenge. We've been talking about uh, the Phoenicians in northern Canada, and uh, many people in the archaeological arena are now believing that the Phoenicians actually traded with the native Canadians around the Great Lakes in exchange. They traded for copper, brought the copper back to the Middle East, and uh, added copper and tin to get bronze. So um, we're looking at a world that is not only changing technologically, not only changing thanks to climate change, we're not talking about a world that is changing because of the amount of data we are subjected to each and every day. We're also talking about a world that will be changing based on history, the archaeological history. And uh, first of all, I want to thank you so much for joining us, Leland. It's great having you with us. And of course, uh, don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you back on again in the future. All right. appreciate that, Rob. And um, how, do you, how does one prepare to do uh, research both, you know, uh, how do you come up with the objects you're going to research? And then how do you actually do the research looking for that object or looking for that that I what is, what is it called uh, su- mm-hmm. uh, object or subject um 
Well, for me, how I get a lot of them is I, I talk to different people. Like when I was doing those uh, convention booths, I started to meet some people from the, the Northwest Territories, and they're saying, hey, there's a, there's a lot of sites up here that no one's coming to check out, and you should really come and see them. So I don't know if you, if looking in already established ways is going to like – if you check the, the textbooks on Egypt, you're probably not going to find a lot of new stuff that you're going to be able to right. research. But if you – go out there and do some groundwork and talk to people in person that that aren't being heard it's like you're probably going to have a better chance of finding some new stuff out and and like google maps i don't know people sometimes make fun of using google for research but it's like uh, that mountain i found up north i i was able to use google street view and walk Mm -hmm. around in areas and see that there was something fishy going on there without having to spend all the money to go on there in person at first. So it's like really a a treasure trove of information to just walk around on Google and explore the earth. Wow. Why do you think so many people, I mean, putting the the religious connotations aside, why do you think that people really don't share an interest in the past? Yeah, I think it's probably because like when we're in school, we, we often get to find out about stuff from the past that mm-hmm. uh, like different wars between tribes or stuff or different things that don't really apply to a like a, a practical meeting in our lives. But it's like, man, once I started looking at different parts of history, like how the, the Ojibwe's have the menu as their word for spirit or Manitou. Right. And the, the, the Middle Persians, they had the same word almost exactly. They called it menu. And I was like, man, I wonder why the, the we never heard about these language connections in, in school. So it's like I think we just got to look a little bit deeper than what we're finding in, on the cover of the textbooks or in it and try to, to get a little bit more to the bottom of the history. And, and it'll make it a lot more interesting for people. Because like, uh, it's really weird how even Google, it's hard to translate a lot of First Nations languages. So maybe that's part of the reason is that there's just not a lot out there yet that, that's going to get mm-hmm. people's interest in it. Well, in, as well as in all fairness, the information that we have access to today, thanks to the internet and to the, to the, the, the wealth of information that is available at the stroke of keys, wasn't available to educators when you and I will, I know when I was going to, when I was going to school, you know. Yeah. They had the card catalog system going. It was yeah, a lot harder exactly. to look something up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and in, in fact, my librarian was, uh, was Fred Flintstone and Wilma was the head cheerleader <laughs> of our high school, uh, cheerleading squad. <laughs> during, during the archeological research that you've done, have you found a common thread when it comes to reference to the great flood that is talked about in the Bible? Yeah, I think uh, I was uh, just researching it for a show maybe a few months back, and it's incredible how many different cultures have it. And even uh, that city we talked about on the show today, Tina Titlan, it was wiped out by a great flood. So there's one there. Then that the Chinese had one, and then the Sumerians had their epic of Gilgamesh story. Yeah that I, wish, I believe involved a flood as well. So it's it's pretty much, if you're willing to check some of all the other cultures around the world, it's almost impossible to find one that doesn't have a flood myth. But uh, but uh, in the research that, I, that I've read pertaining to the Great Flood and the other yeah. civilizations that, that echo a story about a Great Flood, they're all on the seacoast. And I'm just yeah. wondering if there's any connection with the Great Flood actually being a tsunami caused by an earthquake. 
Yeah, that's a really good theory. Like yeah. we see how else it takes is a landslide to, to fall into the ocean. It can cause tsunamis to go right across the globe, right? I, exactly, or tectonic plates rubbing against each other on the bottom of the ocean floor. Yeah. Maybe the Earth really did expand in the past. Like I know some people might have mm-hmm. talked about on the show, and if that happened, that would have really caused some massive tectonic events and tsunamis. See, there are so many mysteries here on this planet. I, I have a hard time understanding why billions and billions and billions of dollars are going into a space project to discover what happened on Mars when we don't understand what happened here on this planet. Yeah, we still got a lot to learn, that's exactly. for sure. Exactly, exactly. So what is next for you, my friend? Um, actually, I'm doing a podcast, uh, I guess, what is it? Yeah, just on Saturday for my birthday even. And oh. I've got a guest named Heather Arnold who's mm-hmm. going to be talking about giants and megaliths and some tours that she does in Aruba called uh, Magical Aruba Tours. So if anyone's looking to not only explore ancient sites, I heard Aruba is pretty nice too. So It is. It's maybe beautiful. If, yeah, some people want to check out my YouTube channel for the, the show from that. That's one of the next things I'm working on. Yeah, we've done, uh, uh, we've, my wife and I have done extensive traveling throughout the Caribbean, throughout Central America. Oh, uh, nice. We went down uh, in 2012, in the beginning of December of 2012, to do research for the uh, 48 hours I did continuous here on the show, uh, waiting to see what would happen on December the 21st, 2012, of which we knew nothing would be happening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one no, of no the cataclysmic event. No, of course sure. not, of course not, because <laughs> when we were down in, in uh, Mexico, speaking to the Mayas, uh, one, they were laughing. They said, come on, you know, what do you mean? You know, I, the best way that they explained it was, you have a calendar that has 365 days, 12 months. You put the calendar on the wall in January, on January the 1st. You take it down December the 30th, and then you put up a... Uh, you know, uh, then you put up another calendar, and it takes mm-hmm. effect January the 1st. You said, that's all we're doing. Except yeah. our calendar is a lot bigger than yours. <laughs> no, people tend to get worked up for the doomsday. It's yeah, like the, and some that, people are almost hoping for it, it seems. <laughs> and that's another question. Why are people in the 21st century so fixated on doomsday? <laughs> yeah, I, I try not to get too much into that in my research because it, it's, uh, it's a lot of stress over nothing and, unless you're right. And then if you're right, you'll never know. Right? Exactly. <laughs> What are your final thoughts and words of wisdom tonight for the Exxon Nation, Leland? Um, I guess my final thoughts, I was just uh, maybe hoping to to maybe mention some of the other people that helped me with my research. Sure, go right ahead, my friend. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Najibwan, he's an Ojibwe firekeeper, and he runs a group called the 8th Generation Infinity Network, and he's been helping me a lot with the, the ancient First Nations legends and correlating my research and just like to give a shout out to CKWR and thank you for letting me come on to, to talk about it and volunteer with them too. And yeah, and I guess I should say a thanks to Maya and Yoda from Bulgaria. Like they were super helpful with all my discoveries. And uh, if anyone's looking to do uh, tours for ancient megaliths, it's like Bulgaria is like one of the best spots in the whole world. So I highly recommend people go there and check that out too. I hope she invites me to go visit, visit those one day too. Isn't it, isn't it funny? You're the first person that we've had on the show talking about ancient mysteries and and uh, megaliths and so on, who's ever mentioned Bulgaria. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. It's like I knew nothing about the Threes people in Bulgaria mm-hmm. before I met Maya. So 
it's like a, that offering table and connecting it to that was it was huge and it's weird too they even have a anubis cave located wow. to near that place too and it's in the same shape as the amulet that i have so i don't know if it's just another coincidence but it's it's amazing what's going on in bulgaria and people aren't talking about it well, Leland, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us here tonight on the Exxon. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas, happy, healthy, prosperous New Year. And I look forward to the next time you join us back here on the Exxon. Well, thanks, Robin. And Merry Christmas to you and everyone at the Exxon, too. I really appreciate you having me on the show. You take care, my friend, and Exxon Nation. If you'd like to find out more about uh, Leland, all you have to do is go to Facebook forward slash Leland Judson. Uh, there's no dot, there's no nothing. It's just forward slash Leland Judson. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to uh, find out what programming we have available for you, 724-365, visit www.xzbn.net. And by the way, the rumors about Kevin Randall leaving the network are false. He's just taking a hiatus. He will be back with us in the early part of 2017, uh, 2018. Oh, I see this transition is already starting where I screw up the years. But hey, you guys know what I mean. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.